for me, the whole process, the book writing, the whole process to me is an art. I, I, I don't really consider myself an, an author so much as I'm an artist. So right. not only is the every word I put in the book, the way they're putting the book, how I end the book, the way it's structured, uh, the, the cover, everything is my artwork. It's mine, and I want to own it. And if Tim Pooh well, I'm not going to buy that. That's crap. Okay, well, I'm, I, I, I guess I would like to sell the books, but ultimately, artists don't paint paintings to, to, to necessarily make money. They paint them because they have to express themselves. And so I have to express myself, and I'm going to express it through writing books. And if people end up buying them, that's great. What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 196 of the Spun Today podcast, and in this episode, we have a guest joining us, Mr. Roderick Edwards. Roderick is a fellow author who has written and published 13 books. He writes both fiction and nonfiction across several different genres. And during our conversation, we got to speak about the inspiration behind a lot of those stories, as well as the background and sequence of events that led to writing some of those books. One of my favorites that I'll give away here in the intro is that he, and I might butcher this a little bit, but definitely stick around to listen to the episode. I'm paraphrasing from memory. He has a friend that purchases things at auction. And Roderick, as you'll learn, is a history buff. One of the things his friend purchased was a steam chest that was filled with pretty much the remnants of the life of a World War II veteran. And he wound up getting that over to Roderick to see if he'd be interested to, you know, dig around and see if uh, he can come up with something from all this stuff uh, of this person that has since passed. And Roderick wound up, you know, finding out one day he's a World War II veteran and has written two out of uh, a planned three book series on this individual's life who had a fascinating life in the first book, which is should have been with me speaks about this gentleman who was in world war two in the second book in the series, which is the up perspective. He focuses more on this fascinating story of after he came back from the war, he got involved in, I believe it was engineering and wound up helping develop some of the first satellites that the u.s sent into orbit and it was just like a a fascinating sequence of events with a bunch of like coincidences uh, along the way that i won't spoil for you guys that was pretty much in my estimation the universe conspiring to make sure that these books get written and i thought it was a, a very cool story roderick also had what i guess would be considered by most a non conventional upbringing where He overcame almost certain death at birth. He wound up being adopted at four years old. And many, many decades later, wound up tracking down his birth family at the age of 50. And we go through that whole journey with him. And it was a really cool conversation. We also spoke about his unique writing process. Roderick reached out to me on Twitter. I believe he said he saw, I guess, uh, perhaps like following a time travel hashtag or something like that, uh, one of my posts to my novel Fractal, and he himself wrote a his first fiction, which has a really cool backstory as well, which I won't spoil for you guys. His first fiction, 
is a time travel story. And we wound up connecting on Twitter that way. He reached out and we wound up scheduling to record, uh, I think, within a week or two. And like we uh, briefly mentioned on the show, you know, it's a fascinating time that we live in where we have opportunities like this where people, you know, living in different states or pretty much any two different points on the globe can, you know, come together with the technologies that we have nowadays. And you can have, you know, two perfect strangers that otherwise either wouldn't have met or may not have ever sat down to speak with each other where they can come together and speak and get to know each other and share, you know, these common interests and then broadcast that out to all of you that will be able to listen to this conversation and get different things from it in perpetuity. And it would be a shame not to take advantage of the opportunity of living in this day and age by doing things like this. So I just want to extend another thank you to Roderick for coming on the show on the Spun Today podcast. I really appreciate your time. Folks can follow Roderick on Twitter at Roderick, R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K-E-D-O-T-C-O-M. That's at Roderick.com spelled out. His website is Roderick, R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K-E.com. Roderick E for Edwards.com. And all of his books are available in all the different formats, digital, paperback, hardcover, and audiobooks. You can find them all on Amazon as well as on his website. I will link to his Amazon page as well as his website and his Twitter handle in the episode notes as always to make it easier for you fine folks to get in touch. And before we get into the episode, here is a quick way that you can help support the Spunt Today podcast if you so choose. And you so choosing helps me keep the lights on and helps me free up time to create more content. It's a win-win. And after this, we'll jump right into the episode. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. All right, folks, we have an absolute treat today on the Spun Today podcast. We have author Roderick Edwards. Roderick is the writer of 13 books available now in all digital formats, in print, in audiobook versions, and some even translated into Spanish. Most of his work falls under the umbrella of nonfiction, but within multiple genres, like The Universe, which is a philosophical work, The Up Perspective, which is a biography on a World War II cargo pilot that helped design and launch amongst the first U.S. satellites into space, and About Preterism, which is a theological view on a movement called Preterism, and many more. 
His debut fiction is The Clipbook Time Finder. And Roderick's website is Roderick, R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K-E.com, which I will link to in the episode notes. And folks listening can follow him on Twitter at Roderick.dot.com. But first and foremost, I just want to say thank you very much for reaching out, Roderick, and uh, for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and thank you much for the opportunity that authors can interact with you on your show as well. Absolutely. I, I get as much, as much from it as listeners do, and you know, it's, a, it's an awesome exchange. It's an interesting age and time that we live in that, you, that we, we even have the capabilities to, to do so. You know, me, I'm in New York right now. I know you are in the East Coast as well. I don't want to say your location. Yep, Florida, Florida. Okay. Yeah, Florida's <laughs> fine. I don't think anybody's going to find me. I'm in the middle of a 450,000-acre wood. Okay. So there's no way they're going to be finding me. So if we lose connection, that's going to be the reason why. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, Rod. So I wanted to begin with your upbringing because uh, as we spoke about offline uh, when we were emailing back and forth, you mentioned that you were adopted at the age of four and you wound up finding your birth family at the age of 50. And one of the things I like to do on the show is when I have a guest on is take a deep dive into them and who they are and, you know, what they're into, not just stick to the topic of writing. Um, although we can definitely do that, but if, uh, you want to walk us through that process, that sounds really fascinating to me. Sure. I, and I, I've had this conversation with people before. There's nothing, no questions you want to ask or could ask that's going to be offensive, so fire away. But let me start here. So I was, when I was born, I had medical issues and was left at the hospital. My, my mother actually thought I wasn't going to survive. I was left basically to die. And I did survive. Apparently, here I am. And uh, it took a few years to patch me up and get everything working again. And so it wasn't until age four when I was finally adopted. By the time I was age seven, even the adopted family broke up and, you know, divorced and such. So it didn't, you know, it didn't turn out happily ever after, at least not then. And like you said, we'll jump fast forward to age 50 is when in Indiana, they opened up the records where if you uh, submitted some information, you could actually get access to your records. And I found out that my birth mother and birth father had deceased. So that immediately let me get all my records and That'll let me find out I had like four or five half-siblings and one uh, 100%, 100% sibling by the same mother and father who's also uh, given up for adoption at birth. So it's really, all that's really, really amazing story right in itself. So Yeah, absolutely. And you were born in Indiana? I was born in Indiana, yes. Okay, and your birth family? Indianapolis specifically. And actually, let me just take it a step back. You said up until age four, you, you were like in the hospital the entire time? Before getting adopted, I was probably, or? I don't remember much, but I was in a hospital and foster care. I guess when I was first adopted, I used to talk about farms and corn, but I don't remember anything about that. So um, I guess I lived, must have lived on a farm at some point, but I don't recall it. Gotcha. And uh, do you speak about like the, the types of uh, birth issues that you had? or? Yeah, I, just, I had, I don't care what they call it, it's a gastro something. Other. Basically, it means that you're... Your insides are on the outside, so they had to patch that all up. Oh wow! Basically, our okay. intestines and everything. So, and at once that's fixed, I was I was good to go. But I was still probably scrawny looking. It took a while for somebody to adopt me. So, gotcha. And you mentioned that your birth parents left you at the hospital, and they thought that you were going to die. Did they leave you because they thought you were going to die? Is that like the process then, or did well, they we all have just leave you up to adopt you if you did get better. No, I think they assumed I died because even when I finally contacted the birth family, 
they also thought I was either one dead or or that I was in some kind of facility somewhere completely out of it. Because the way it was described to them, I I didn't have much a chance to to live. I you know again, mother was pretty young and probably thought, wow, this 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 is a tragedy here. I, I can't even watch it. Can't even look at it. I mean, I. I'd imagine if you've seen a baby firstborn and, and you're expecting this cute little thing coming out, and instead you see all these guts hanging out of the baby, that would be terrifying to a young mother. So yeah, absolutely. the father wasn't around at the time, but the mother definitely was afraid and and didn't have the capacity. I'm not. I don't hold any grudges. I don't know her because I didn't meet her, but I don't have right. any grudges against her because I mean that had been a scary situation. And she did what best she could, is probably letting me uh, remain in the hospital. So. Absolutely. And I mean, I I have two young kids and I, I can't even wrap my head around that. That must have been terrifying from her right. perspective. Um, and you had a brother as well. Uh, like you said, uh, one uh, full brother. Did he have birth issues? No, actually, uh, again, we're talking about the book, talking about a little bit about a book. I wrote a, a, a bi- an autobiography about it called uh, Together More. It doesn't touch on every little aspect of my life, but a little bit about that adoption. So maybe you're looking at the picture on the front of the book, and there's actually two brothers, and those are both on the mother's side, but they had uh, different uh, mothers, or different fathers, rather. And no, they, as far as I know, they were born fine, and they stayed with the mother for the most part. Gotcha. And then I had another brother by the by the father, and he, he's fine, too, and he's somewhere else. So. And do you have uh, relationships uh, now with any of the, the siblings? Yes, when I when I located them at uh, age 50. Now, this story is even interesting, if you'd like to hear it real briefly. So at age 50, I, I sent away from the information, didn't expect anything about it. So I think it's 2017 when this happened or so, 2018, somewhere around there. I can't remember exactly the exact date. But anyhow, I finally get the information back, and here's this letter that may have my, you know, my all my, my history. Who am I? My heritage. You finally get to be who you are. Because adoptees, if you don't think about it, adoptees don't know who we are. We really don't. We don't have any heritage. We, we create it or we adopt somebody else's heritage. Whoever adopted us, we, we're no one. So in a way, it's worse than being, you know, people talk about minorities being oppressed and such. But when you have no heritage at all, I mean, you have nothing to point to. That's even worse. Yeah, it's a deep. So anyhow, I get this there. letter back. Right. So I get this letter back, and oddly enough, at the time I get this letter back, I was going to a a rally for for a presidential candidate. I won't mention that because we're trying not to stay out of politics. But I was going to this rally, but I didn't open the letter because I, I was going. I was didn't have much time, so I left the letter on the table. And went to this rally. But the whole time at this rally, as this man is basically going to be the leader of the free world or was the leader, I can't remember if he already was president or not, but he seems so small in that instant because I'm all I'm thinking about is what does that letter say? Yeah, absolutely. So the whole time I'm waiting at this, this rally for two or three hours, I'm thinking about something else. So when I get home and I open this letter, there's, there's my, mother, my mother's name, my birth mother's name. I didn't have a name at birth. She didn't give me one. It was just male Latrell, my last name was the time uh her name and so that started it and fortunately we're in the internet age and i my previous uh employment was an analyst so i had a lot of experience on looking at data and figuring things out research so i used all the ancestry websites and everything else and found out uh she was dead he was dead actually i didn't know about him yet i'm sorry but she was dead all her siblings were dead so i'm like oh this is going to be a dead end but i found out she had two children Within the next day, I had located those children via Facebook and contacted them and, and eventually contacted one of the half-sisters who basically talked to me and came to see me within two days, her, her and one of their brothers. Oh, wow. So within two days, my life completely changes dra- dramatically. 
all this information coming in at once. So that must have been that must have been overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. And they obviously they were if you know they came to see you within two days they were like instantly responsive. They, yeah. Yeah, and they're and they're local. Yeah, and they were local, and they were immediately responsive. Immediately, they were surprised because again, they thought I had died. So, one of the first things the sister said to me, the half sister who actually called me on the phone uh, that night or the night night after, she said, "Is Renee with you?" And I was like, "Who's Renee? I don't know anything about her." Renee. This was the other person that was getting up for adoption two oh, years wow. before me. My my other sister who is my one hundred percent. Uh, sibling. I didn't know anything about it. I was like, what? We have an, another sister? Yeah, she was, we thought she was with you. She said, no, I don't know anything about her. Neither did they. All I knew is that she was adopted out. They didn't know where she was. They didn't know anything about her. So then we'll get further in the story, but just a little prelude. Is, then I took it upon myself to find her. I even had to hire a private investigator because there was nobody had any information about her. So wow. I had to look for her. And how did, how did that process go? Did you I guess, spoiler alert. Well, Did you find first I figured out, <laughs> well, well, we'll leave a little suspense for a moment. So what I did first is I used my, all my, again, my skills of data analyst and my ability to research and all these stuff. And I was looking all over the internet, putting in, cause I had a birth date. Cause it says on the birth certificate, my birth certificate, it says previous child born on blah, blah date. So we, now I had her birth date because it's telling me which it wasn't any of the existing children I knew about if So it had been this missing child. Right. I put all that in there, couldn't find her, couldn't find her. Finally, I hear about this thing called confidential in- intermediaries. These are uh, private investigators for adoptees, basically is what they are. At first, I was like, I don't want to hire somebody. This is going to be a fraud. They're going to take my money, and, and they're going to say they can't find her, and then some just waste my money. Finally, I took the 700 or $800 or what it was and put the money forward. like, okay, if there's a fraud, it's a fraud. I'll just leave it out with money. But within two weeks, they located her. The problem I was having is because she had the wrong birth date. Somebody had either, this is pretty common back then, somebody had changed her birth date to make it look like she was born on a different date, so it would be difficult to find her. So it was just off like one day, but I couldn't find her by that birth date. And she actually, her name was changed as well. So, But yeah, the private investigator did find her, and within, within 30 days, her and I struck up a relationship and discussions and everything else. So, Wow. Do you still stay in touch with her now? Did that turn out? I am I am living in Florida with her in her house, our house now. I guess that's oh, a whole other story. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, they can add. So a, the stories just keep on coming. That's the reason why we have thirteen books because these stories just keep on coming. This right. is just one little side <laughs> story we're talking about right now. Especially once you're looking at things through that that writer lens, where everything becomes a story. Every anecdote becomes its own, you know, vein. Right. So, right. Uh, let me let me take it a step back before. You know, you finding your your birth family. Growing up, how how was your childhood like? Were you like always in, into like reading? Were you into writing as, as a child? Yeah, oddly enough, I mean, uh, because I know we all understand this that people are born with two two parts to them. One, or born or raised, what do you want to call it? With the it's called the nurture nature concept. So there's some right. parts it's hardwired into you. No matter what happens to you, that's just who you are. And there's other parts you're influenced by the way your upbringing is or your your peers and all that stuff. Obviously, adoptees, it's even more stark because you're in a family that nobody's, you know, biologically related to you. So you, you, you can see the differences in yourself compared to them. So one of the major differences that I noticed is that I did love reading uh, to the point where when I used to cut school, I would go to the library and get books. That's the reason I'd cut school because oh, I wanted wow. to learn more, but I didn't want to learn what they were teaching me in schools. I mean, the, I'm the epitome of the nerd, if that's the case, you know, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I I went to get history books and, 
and, and you know, all kinds of books like that. So I was into that even back then when I was, you know, I didn't really cut school until the high school, but that's when I did it. So, right. And it's usually that that's a, uh, usually like the opposite reason why high school kids cut school. <laughs> to go well, I usually cut school to, to do things that get in trouble and yeah. cause trouble. But I would cut school, go to the library, get books. And then in my area, there was this place called the Swamp. It was basically this undeveloped land with a couple ponds in there. And I would just go and hide in the bushes and read this, read all these history books. And I mean, direct history books, history books that are like written in the 1800s. Not, you know, the bo- those boring history books is what I'm talking about. Right, right. <laughs> like like yeah. first person. So, right. <laughs> so... Circling back to uh, around the, the same time period, you're in high school, you know, cutting school to go read. Were you writing already at that point or not yet? I would always, as far as I can tell, I've always written as soon as I can pick up a pen, but it would just be journals and stuff. Not, I just never had a concept where, say, I'm going to become a writer and publish things. Right. I just kept, you know, kept my, my they weren't diaries so much as they were journals. Sometimes they were just big, long, drawn-out, and it wouldn't even be about me, it'd just be about thoughts that I might have, or this idea came across, and such like that. So it wasn't really a diary, but yes, I've kept those since I can remember. Kind of like a, like free association writing? Like free writing? Yeah, I think that's that's probably what they called it then. Okay. Nice. Before that, it was... It, before it was <laughs> I actually do, do a lot of that myself. I've also, I've, I've published both nonfiction and fiction. And my nonfiction mm-hmm. is a collection of uh, free writing, uh, free association writing that like the through line is, you know, has like a motivational pick yourself up and and do what it is that you want to do, like get out of your own way uh, type of uh, through line to it, which, right. I, which I noticed while like reading through my own uh, free writing, uh, I noticed that trend, you know, through like a, a bunch of different notebooks. And I realized that I was kind of like talking to myself but right like through the writing and i'm like oh hey you know this and and it is like motivating me to figure out the self-publishing process and 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 put that book out and my mindset with it was essentially you know if this helped me do that maybe it'll help somebody else as well you know right it's self-therapy and cathartic so i mean we definitely there's there was a lot of that going on earlier on and i'm still doing some of that i'm sure i maybe i don't recognize it so much but it's there so Absolutely. It's definitely helpful. Like you said, you hit it on the nose. It's definitely cathartic and and therapeutic. Now, so tell me about, I I really wanted to ask you about the the biography of the World War II uh, cargo pilot, just in terms of like how that relationship happened. The name of the book again is The Up Perspective, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the first one in that series actually was called um, uh, Should Have Been With Me. Oh, and that okay. perspective was the second one. And then actually writing a third one called the, the tip mage, which is the final three in the series. But what this is, this is a, uh, like I said, world war two cargo pilot. He's from Eaton, Indiana, some little small town. Uh, he flew over the Himalayans. They call it the hump. I think they made up several movies about it and such, uh, in, uh, C 47 cargo planes, basically dropping cargo down to the, the advancing troops into, into China and such like that. In Japan, actually, China's where they're fighting, but they're not fighting the Chinese, if you know history. But so he comes back, and then he starts developing the first satellites that the U.S. launched into space when there was a big space race between the Soviets, uh, the Russians. The whole uh, Sputnik. And so I, right. So I detail all that and how that came about. Why am I writing about this? Because I'm typically, at this point, I'm usually writing a, a 
nonfiction autobiographies and philosophical books and that one about the the religion that you mentioned here. How did I get into these 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 biology these biography books? I have a friend that goes to auctions, and so he went to this auction probably twenty thirty years ago and and found all this material by this by this man that I write in the book. His name's uh, Wilfred Skull. He's deceased now. But he finds all this material, his, all his old records and pictures and all this stuff from, from the war. And he, he finally, 20 years later, after he meets me, he's like, hey, you know, you're beginning to write books. Do you want to maybe look at this material and see if you can do something with it? So he, he drives it all the way down to Florida, all the way from Indiana, in this big you know, steam chest where all this stuff has it. And that's what the front of the book I'm, should have been me is. It's the steam chest. It's the war chest that he has. Gotcha. But anyhow, so I go through all this and try to see if there's some kind of cohesive story. And I find out all these weird connections that this guy was eating Indiana and, and all these other things. And even the place that this guy met me at the, the friend from in, from Indiana, we came down and he met me in a restaurant called Eaton Beach. I'm like all these weird connections. They're like, what in the world is going on here? It's like when, the, when, the, out. when the universe conspires to say, Hey, yes, you should write this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's here. exactly what was going on. That was exactly what was going on. And what's different, this guy, the, 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 the World War veteran, he didn't have any children. He died when he didn't produce any children. So his legacy and the story, everything about was going, would, would have gone with him. His, his wife, 94-year-old woman, didn't know what to do with all these pictures, so she gave them away and they sold them at auction. Wow. And fortunately, we brought them back and turned them into a book. I contacted her later and then gave her books and her, her, her children, because she had children by another husband previously, her children came to the book signing that I held eventually in Eaton, Indiana, because I took the book and, and went back to Eaton, Indiana, to where he was from, and, and held a big book signing there. Oh, so, that's great. And then we continued on the story and wrote more about the fact that he was not only just in the war, but he came back and was, that perspective is more about his time as being uh, the satellite engineer. And then the last book I'm currently working on, which should be out before Christmas, is called Tentmates. It's about the four guys, him and three other guys that stayed inside this tent in Moran, Indiana, in India, and the experiences they had and coming back and how their lives diverged and where they were from. It's just a little bit about a humanity in general. So, Gotcha. Wow, that, that's definitely a fascinating series right there. Now, yeah, when, I, I think we, it's important that we, we, we keep that somewhere, we, we, especially from a guy who didn't have any children. I, I call his satellites his children because he didn't have any children. Put out uh, six satellites it's called the Ogo satellites, and one of them just crashed. I think it was in 2018. It's been up in space since the late 60s, I think, and maybe early 60s. All that time, just going around and around, and finally crashed. Shortly after I published the first book, I was like, "There's too many weird connections here." <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and which led to the book, which you'll get to, is the universe. <laughs> Gotcha. Uh, before we get to that one, though, you you are able to, I guess, like maybe like through like a NASA website or something like that to track like the satellites, like their positionings or like if they're still active or not. Yeah, there's different places you can go, but this was an actual uh, story that I had that come across the news thing that the Ogo satellites coming down. I was like, Ogo, what? Wait a minute, this is the guy who traded these satellites. They were called the orbital geopositional satellites, something like that, because they were just mapping positions at the time. They weren't really as advanced as we have now. And there's just a news story about how it was going to, they were going to force it crash landing into the ocean by Ma- by Maui. It's like, wow, this is the guy's actual satellites. His babies are coming home. The last one, he created like six of them. And the first one, for some reason, stayed in space longer than the other ones. Wow. And, yeah, and, and it, is, it is pretty cool that you were able to create that work to like live on forever. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you said, now, it, it would have just disappeared. Forever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And how, how does that bleed into the, uh, the universe? 
Cause it's, it, Actually, it, it, I think like, the universe might have been written before. It okay. might have been written before. So the universe was gone back a little bit. It probably started from or was the premise from it. Yeah, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know. I'm an author and I'm at a loss for words, really. <laughs> that, that Whatever, the, the catalyst. There we go. The catalyst, <laughs> the catalyst that caused it. There we go. The cause of the universe was how everything was coming together in, the, in my reunion with my birth family. And how all this stuff was coming. Because there's more stories than that. We won't, you know, we won't have so much time. But there's a lot of things here that came together. And so the universe is about what I call apparent, apparent coincidences. You, we, we all have them where there's just too many things that stack up. You're like, okay. I'm not a superstitious person. Maybe you're not a religious person, but there's so many things that stack, stack up to you're saying these are all coincidences, but they all stack up and they keep pointing to this one thing. Well, that's what the universe is about. And I'm not actually telling you it even exists. I'm just saying we should look at this. It's strange. You know, that's all basically the universe, the book itself is about. It's not dictating to anybody what, what to believe or not believe is just saying this is strange. Right. And like I always go by the, the trope of, you know, some things exist whether you believe in them or not. And just to, mm-hmm. everything should be looked at and studied and contemplated and not just shunned away, you know. Right. Everything is valid until you've, you've somehow found enough evidence to show that's no longer valid. Like somebody comes to you and says, you know, this tree is God. You know, okay, well, it, okay, well, what do you mean by that? And then you unpack it some more and pack it some more. And then if they literally mean like Mickey Mouse or the tree is God, then maybe you can, you can dispute that. But Every claim is valid until it's disputed and unpacked. So right, exactly. Well said. Mm-hmm. Now, preterism. While we're like on the, you know, tangentially on the topic of religion, tell me about that. Were you were you into? Actually, did you grow up within like that movement or that religion? No, and here here's what happens. So preterism is a theological concept that believes. Not to get too deep here, I don't know how deep we want to get. I started writing this book before any of these other books, but I kept on push, pushing it off because I, it was just boring me. I, didn't, I was halfway done with it, but I was like, ah, I need to finish it. I already committed so much time to it. But basically, it's the theological belief that Jesus already came back and there's not going to be a world-ending uh, apocalypse, catalytic cataclysm. They, they get that from the fact that you probably, if you've watched any of the Left Behind movies or anything like that, they always talk about wars and rumors of wars and and all these things that are going to happen, and it's going to uh, be a precursor to Jesus coming back and the you know, final destruction of, of man and saving of some men. But these people would believe the Bible that says that something to the effect that uh, these things already happened, and Jesus was predicting the end of the, of the Jewish temple in the year A.D. 70, which actually literally happened to me if you're just a historian. So I basically am... I'm, I'm, I'm going through this whole detail on how these people believe this and why they believe this and how one of their people even uh, assassinated um, uh, James Garfield in the 1800s, the president James Garfield, oh, wow. because he wanted, to, he wanted to promote this belief. He figured if he killed the president, uh, he'd become famous and people would read his book about preterism. So, I mean, it has deeper connections to people. Are, what? This is weird. Why would you even write about this? Because it's definitely interesting. It's, it's bigger <laughs> into our faith. Yeah, we don't, and we don't realize it's actually more into our face than we realize. It's not just this little side view. It's actually impacted the United States by having a president over it. So I was into at least studying it for a while. I did call myself a preterist for a while, so it's a theological belief. I'm, I'm not certain where I even stand on any religion now. I've moved so far away from certain things. But at the time, yes, definitely I would consider myself a preterist. And that way the book is from an inside-out perspective. So you, so there's no doubt I'm, just, I'm not just documenting. I'm actually can tell you from the inside out what was going on gotcha and so, what what is the uh, like most religions have like their 
I don't know if it would be correct to call it a theory, but their idea of an afterlife. Um, does preterism have that in, or or do they not? Because they think you know everything within the Bible already happened. They do, and that's a, so that version. There's different ologies they call them studies of, and in, in this case, it's called eschatology. It's the study of the end times, which includes the afterlife. And so, a lot of preterists will say that we're in heaven now. Basically, there was never supposed to be some world-ending event. Instead, you basically just kind of translate that physical death right into either heaven or hell. Some place, a lot of predators don't even believe in hell. They say that you basically just, there is no hell. Either everybody goes to heaven and it's sorted out there, or anybody who is destined for hell is just uh, completely uh, destroyed. There's there's no eternal punishment. There's it's just end for them. So yeah, they do have a concept of the afterlife. Gotcha. And it's more like uh, like heaven on on earth heaven on earth and somehow i don't know how they get it but somehow heaven heaven and earth are overlap let's call it that gotcha interesting christianity in general has it talks about the the new jerusalem coming down and such and such and such so not to get too too far off field hopefully didn't lose too many listeners here no no it's fine (laughs) this conversation is for you and me (laughs) no worries Again, I'm a multi-genre author, so I go from again the the autobiography to the biography to to the philosophy to the to the religion. So yeah, if, like, if you don't like one thing I'm writing, look for something else. Absolutely, and, and I love written, it. Never written. I, I love that. I hate when people are like try to like pigeonhole you know authors or just like people in general. You know, we're all like multifaceted and. We're into different things. Yeah. I might be into outer space and also playing pool and also podcasts and also writing and also you know what I mean. There you go. Don't uh, become a Patrick Stewart because you'll always be Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no matter what you do, that's you're always going to be him. Right. <laughs> Don't uh, typecast yourself. Um, yep, exactly. Now, uh, going back to, to writing, uh, I wanted to ask you a bit about your process. Like, do you write, like, pen to paper? Do you use a specific writing program? Do, do you well, have, I purposely... Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just gonna follow that up with if you have like a like a writing schedule or like any like writing rituals. Perfect. So when I got into actually trying to publish something, uh, just like your podcast, I purposely have not listened. I listened a little bit to your podcast, but I purposely try not to listen to podcasts before I go on because I want to experience what it's like from the podcast person, uh, the host, rather than get some preconceived idea of what it might be like and what it's going to be. I want, so. Same thing with my writing. I try not to read a lot of things so I don't sound like this person or that person. I do have influences, apparently, but I try not to you know, try to sound like so. My process might be different than, than most authors. For example, I live on a uh, almost a two-acre property here in the middle, like I said, in the forest. I have chickens, and, 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 and I live on a 17-acre lake and, and dogs. And, and so what I do to get ready to write is I don't sit down at a computer. I don't write on a piece of paper. I go out and feed the chickens and I start thinking about stuff and, and things like that. And eventually I'll come in. Once I have enough content in my mind, then I start writing that down, but I don't keep on forcing it. I don't say I got to sit down today and I got to write four hours worth of, of, of content. Instead, whenever I'm done, I'm done. That way all the content is, is full and ready for you, for the reader to absorb. And it's not forced or a lot of words that a lot of times, like, for example, we are talking about religion. If you've ever been to a church and you'll hear somebody praying, Dear Lord and God, please, and they, they cut out, you cut out 15% of that, the, the prayer is two seconds, really. So right. the same thing here is I'm trying to make sure that the content, even though my books are really short, I purposely keep them to about 
under 200 pages, the content from every page is really sick. So nice. Okay. Like, uh, get so to there's the, no process. Get, really. It's just a, get to just the point and cut down. the fluff. Right. Gotcha. Interesting. Well, there's definitely something for that it, uh, to be said uh, for that in terms of, you know, just letting it come to you, letting the, the muse, as they say, come to you. Right. And now also people might think, well, now it's going to sound like it's just a boring, you know, lecture book of, of facts. No, it's not that. It's not about necessarily about facts. I mean, because a philosophy book is definitely not facts, but it is making sure that there's not a bunch of filler in between the, those, those segments of those, those ideas that you're getting to in the book. Right. And what do you do as far as, so, you know, you're, you're mulling things over, uh, you're walking around your property, feeding the chickens, you come back, you start writing. When you actually start writing, is it on the computer or is it like on paper first or? Yeah, it's on the computer. I actually had, I bought some journals because back in, when I was younger, I, everything was written. I, I hand wrote it and I, I took my time to make sure my writing, even the way I wrote things, the, the, the curve of my letters and stuff meant something to me. So it was very, it was very important. Right. But now it's basically on the computer because I, 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 it's just so much time left in, in my life to, to get it out there. So it's, yes, it's usually that way. Now it's on, on the word. I used to use word, MS word, Microsoft gotcha. word. So gotcha. And I, I do both. I do, uh, when I do free writing, I, I still like, you know, pen to paper. I like, co- you know, collecting books with, uh, different, uh, cool covers. Um, and like, you know, that within itself, like, I guess is, is like a, like a hobby, you know, just co- collecting different style notebooks and stuff. And I fill those up with like free writing. And then the ones that I guess, quote unquote, make the cut or, or like resonate more with me. Like I, I'll like transcribe those and put them on my website under like a free writing section. Um, so folks can, can go on, on there and, and check it out. Sponsor.com forward slash free writing. But when Excellent. I, now you don't, you don't use any kind of, uh, text text transfer program you re- actually ran and type it all back in again yeah i retype it but they're not okay. they're not like long like i'll use like small like six by nine uh notebooks and they'll be like a page or two where you know per oh, okay. like sitting you know so it's not it's not like a labor intensive to transcribe it yeah um i definitely miss that i mean it, i definitely miss handwriting things i just uh, as, as a 53 year old person trying to pump out as many books as i can all these topics i just i don't know i just don't have time to handwrite so much anymore no yeah absolutely you're definitely prolific when it when it comes to that the then i also have a process where i'll like i use a a, i used to use microsoft word and sometimes i still do but i i bumped into a program by listening to a writing prod uh podcast the creative pen podcast by joanna pen and she Mm -hmm. was always like speaking about this writing program that uh doubles up as a writing program but also as like a for formatting it like helps you like output the formats for the different types of ebooks and um whether it's a mobi file or like a pdf and and pretty much like an all-in-one tool um it's called scrivener and it's really user-friendly yeah Yeah, it's really Mm -hmm. user-friendly i highly recommend it i have like i have it on the computer and i also have there's like an application on the phone and, you know, some, sometimes we, when I have to, like, take the subway or something to go to work, like, I'll write on my, on my phone within the program. Then I'll, like, come home and I'll finish, you know, it'll be on my computer because it, like, syncs up pretty seamlessly. And it, it's just, yep. like, a really powerful tool in terms of, like, the formatting to, like, get it into, like, ebook format. Just, like, really user-friendly in terms of, like, if you write something and you just want to, like, 
uh, like move this page, this page, you know, to a different chapter. You can do that or an excerpt without having to like cut and copy and paste like you would on Microsoft Word. And it's pretty cool. Sounds like one of those things where you say, why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and I know that I've, I've only like scratched the surface of like what it's for. Like I just learned how to like type into it and how to like export into like the different formats. But then like I'll see like a, a three hour video on YouTube saying, oh, look at all the, the 101 things that you can do with Scrivener. And I'm like, all right, maybe one day. But for now. <laughs> now, you, now, you, now you've asked yourself as a nerd too. Yeah. <laughs> Watching three, three hour videos about yeah. <laughs> formatting programs. <laughs> I guess we, we can all be nerds once we find, you know, something that we're into, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So let's see. So you'll you'll mull ideas over, walk on your property, feed the chickens, come back, type into Microsoft Word. What do you do? Do you do you use professional editing? Do you edit yourself? Do you um it, I do all the things I'm not supposed to do. I, I do my own editing. I do my own book covers. I do my own proofreading. I, now, I'll sometimes get friends to help me do some editing proofreading because I'll give them advanced copies of things I'm writing on. So it's not, I'm not the only one looking at it. But a lot of things I do do is I, I'll let the Word, Word's uh, audio program read it back to me. Right. So, so I can catch things that I normally wouldn't catch when you're reading it. So that helps me a lot. Plus, I don't, even though it's a kind of, they're getting better with their voices, they're not so more robotic. So even in that, I, I can say, well, that, if somebody, because most of my books turn into audiobooks, so I, I have an idea of what it's going to sound like as an audiobook, and I'm getting better at that as well. Because now, a lot of times, if I'm referring to myself in the book, I no longer say the word "I." I say the author because I'm expecting eventually an uh, an audio person is going to be uh, an area is going to be reading it. So I said the author. I, I gotcha. speak to myself in the third person there. So I'm getting better at that because of the fact that I have the letter read back. So yeah, so I don't I do all the formatting and the editing and the, and the book covering and everything else myself. Right gotcha. now, I, I um I did that with my my first book, Make Wake for You. I j- just like you said, I you know wrote it, edited it, formatted it, um, created like the the cover on like Canva. I think was the website I used, and just a very simple cover, just like block text and and like a border. <laughs> and then um for the second Ooh. book, uh same thing. I wrote and edited myself. Um, I actually listened to a really good podcast called. The name's escaping me right now, but it's by an editor named Sean Coyne. Um, he edited uh, Stephen Pressfield's books, and mm-hmm. he has a podcast with another author, and he has like twenty years of like ed- editing uh, experience, and he pretty much like broke down like his process for editing. So I was just like listening to that and trying to like take like gems from there and like edit the book myself. Um, but that second that second time around for for my novel Fractal. For that, I got uh, professional cover design done, and I used a service called Ninety Nine Designs, which is pretty cool. And then my like my goal is for the third book, then to try. All right, you know, I I tried doing everything myself from A to Z. Second book, I you know got the cover professionally done and did everything else myself. And for the third one, I want to try try getting like professional editing just to like be able to like compare firsthand like all the the difference in those experiences. Now, has the results for you have been any different or no? Because, I mean, you'll, you'll have some people, before you answer my question, some people swear that if you don't do it all so-called professionally, that you'll never get anywhere. You'll, you'll never sell anything. You know, it'll look like garbage, blah, blah, blah. You'll have all kinds of, of errors in your book. Your cover will look awful, blah, blah, blah. So knowing this and understanding this and having, having done it multiple ways, uh, has there been different results based on these different ways or no? 
I I think it's tough. Well, my on instinct, I want to say no, not yet, not with um just a difference in like the cover. Although, like for me, like it looks it definitely looks different. It looks uh, more professional, but it's like tough to compare those two books because they're both you know one's a, a time travel fiction novel and the other one's like a motivational uh, nonfiction uh, book. So it's right. it, from a selling perspective, it's it's you know not comparing you know apples to apples, but. But I definitely liked the the process of like using like the ninety nine design service and stuff like that. But I I, I have heard um, like you said like the same things. If you if you don't get professional editing, you're like doing it wrong. But I'm like uh, when it comes to that a uh, hard headed kind of I want to learn that for myself. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So which is why and and I figured you know if I start off with the first book and get professional editing, then I'm not gonna go back to like not do it. So let me start off with the first book. You know. Uh, do right. everything myself and then well, for me, myself up. For me, the whole process, the book writing, the whole process to me is an art. I, I, I don't really consider myself an, an author so much as I'm an artist. So right. not only is the every word I put in the book, the way they're putting the book, how I end the book, the way it's structured, uh, the, the cover, everything is my artwork. It's mine and I want to own it. And it's simply, well, I'm not going to buy that. That's crap. Okay, well, I'm, I, I, I guess I would like to sell the books, but ultimately... Artists don't paint paintings to, to, to necessarily make money. They paint them because they have to express themselves. And so I have to express myself, and I'm going to express it through writing books. And if people end up buying them, that's great. Absolutely. That, that's, that's awesome. I, lo- I love hearing that. And it's true. Like you, nobody becomes a writer to, to make money. <laughs> like it's not, right, right. It's not the you know, plan A for like making money for, for anyone. It's always like a, a passion project type of thing. And if the byproduct, right. if a byproduct of it happens to be making money, then of course that, that, that'll be amazing. But because of the fact that it'll help facilitate you know, removing the need to you know, work for money off the table, which enables you to be able to write more and do more of what you love. That's the way, the way. Well, as soon as I write my, my, my next book, it's, it's going to be uh, half naked zombie women from Mars. I will <laughs> definitely make it big and I will make lots of money. I'm sure. And, and throw in a couple of vampires. <laughs> and some, yes, yes. And some vampires. <laughs> yes. There we go. All right. So, um, so you self publish and you, like you mentioned, you have a lot of different formats. You have like, uh, all digital formats, you have audiobooks. you, you have, uh, I believe I saw on your website, you have hardcover and yeah, uh, actually books. I was able to get into the hardcover. Uh, Amazon was beta baiting their, their hardcover potentialities there for a while. And, and since I'd published or at that time, I think I'd published nine or 10 books already. So they came to me and said, Hey, along with other authors, I'm sure, and said, hey, we're not putting this out for release yet, but we want to have a select few authors here, uh, see if they want to put their books in hardcover. So I, I just make it available in all formats because some people don't, you know, they like the hardcovers. They don't want this flimsy paper, so they'll buy in hardcover. So Absolutely. it's available in print and audiobook and hardcover and, and ebook. And I'm even trying to figure out what what could be the next thing I'm thinking about. How can we, how we can get YouTube books or something? I don't know. I'm trying yeah. to think about how to improve <laughs> books. Like, like some sort of a uh, video immersive like experience. Right. Which kind of, I mean, leads me to this book called Bandersnatch Jesus. I wrote I don't know if you see that on the website. So uh, it might be a little before your time. Cause I think it was in the eighties. Um, there was these choose your own adventure books. I think it's, I think that may be a trademark term. So I'm, I'm noting that here, but anyhow, choose your own adventure books. You get in and you open your book up and, and I you, remember you, I, you read so much. Yeah, not, and you not, go to a certain to page and that certain outcome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. That's it. Not to cut you off, but my bro- my brother, I have a brother who's five years older than me, and I remember 
he i don't know if he like had to read them as part of school or 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 um he he was just into those books but i remember it would say you know if you want to go through the door go to page 49 if you want to go back home go to exactly. page 70, 72 exactly that's so that's cool. what bandersnatch jesus is gotcha. but it's it's based on 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 the on bible stories that if there if you choose what you know the bible actually says it, it'll fall along just like the bible but I purposely put some things in there that are real strange that you might say, well, what happens if instead of Jesus hanging on the cross or, or, or giving in to, to the Romans, his, his disciples fought back and kept him from being... There's things like that in there. So you choose these different alternatives, and, and the book leads you different ways. And it's just a little interesting concept, because normally it's, those kind of books are only fiction. So I was like, okay, let's put it on something a little more serious and see, see what it does. So it's, it's out there. I don't, I don't know what people think of it. So they're like... There's also that movie called Bandersnatch. It's uh, a cool Bandersnatch, concept. I think. By yeah, I yeah, saw, you I seen saw that, that one on, on Netflix. On Netflix, yeah, yeah. I actually saw it. Yeah, so it was so, pretty. And cool. I think they got sued because again, the, the trademark term is "choose your own adventure." So, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you could trademark entire phrases, but whatever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I wanted to circle back to your fiction. You have. Um, your first fiction called Clipbook Time Finder. And I heard a little bit of how uh, this book came about. And I definitely wanted to ask you about it because my my uh, debut novel, Fractal, is also a time travel story, um, which I believe uh, Clipbook Time Finder is. And I was really fascinated yeah. by how you mentioned that it... it, it I don't want to, you know, spoil you to oh, the story. Away. Okay. <laughs> it was a... You can give it away, it's fine. Basically, someone finding like an old book of clippings somewhere, and they and you wound up st- stumbling upon it, or they gave it to you, and you used that to create the story. Yeah, so it is. It's the first in the hopefully at least three books in a series. I'm working on the second one now. Um, but the reason I said clipbook time finders, I had this real life gentleman that that liked to read my books. He said, "Hey, I've had this this book this." book of this like a scrapbook that I found back in the 1970s on top of a trash can. He says, it's just full of a bunch of paper clippings and, and weird stuff that don't seem to be connected. Can I send it to you? You can kind of figure out what's going on, maybe turn it into something. So he sent it to me and I was looking through it. There's no cohesive story in the book. It's just all these clippings, some of them back all the way to the 1800s, you know, the actual from actual newspapers and stuff. And are they just like new stories uh, or like pieces of stories or like... No, there's stories and there's just things and ads and just weird stuff in there. I don't, I couldn't figure out what's going on. There's even a diploma in there, an actual diploma. So finally, after I looked at the entire book, I found out that it's there's a guy from the 1800s in there and then maybe one of his relatives with a diploma from the 1978 era. I still don't know exactly how they're all connected because it doesn't make any sense. So I'm thinking, you know what? It'd be interesting if this was a... I'll go ahead and reveal the premise of the book. Though this cookbook was a way for uh, a time traveler to remember where he is, because usually when time traveling books or stories or movies or whatever, there's always some kind of machine you go into and you, you dial in the actual date and there you go and you're off. Instead, in my premise, there's just crystals and they, the person has to have this special book with them that has little bits of their life and important things that they've written in here and kept clippings and things like that, you know, whatever. Things, sayings they remember and childhood pictures and stuff like that because the process of going through through time makes you begin to forget who you really are uh-huh. you start absorbing into the time that you go to and so if you don't have this clipbook with you to look through and go oh yeah that's who i am 
you'll eventually forget who you are and you'll just settle in that time and never even try to go anywhere else. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I so like that's that. the whole concept <laughs> of the book. And so I try to put, what's even more interesting, I try to put real life places in there. I mean, the, the place that he goes to, the El Capitan Hotel in California actually exists. You could actually go there. Nice. And various places like that in the book are in there. So if somebody's reading it, the, I want them to believe that, is this a real, is, is this possible? Is this guy really, maybe this guy really is a time traveler. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want somebody to come away with reading it. Yeah. That's awesome. Some I, conspiracy theorist or something. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely like that about. Like come um, back to haunt me in the future. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like playing with that, uh, that genre of, uh, of time travel. And I also didn't right. want it, didn't, didn't want to make it a, uh, like a machine or a car, you know, like back to the future ish, even though I love back to the future. I think it's the best, uh, 80s uh, trilogy out there but um right. uh you know I, I didn't want it to be like a physical thing that you had to like go into so in in my story it's it happens through dreams and it's kind of like i guess like a mix between like the matrix meets the uh, back to the future uh sort of thing it's like a, a a group of folks that that are in the know that this time travel or this ability to try time travel exists and most people have the ability within them but it's like dormant uh, within them and some of them you know they can live their entire lives and never know that they had it some of them can have um and they travel like through their dreams and some of them have dreams and you know things wind up having happening in their dreams and then you know it changes in like their real time reality based on what they did in the dreams but they it could be subtle things that they never notice and some folks um realize that they do have the ability and then you know uh, manipulate it and try to use it for personal gain etc so then you have like this underbelly of folks that try to take advantage of that and folks that try to like you know just correct injustices of the past and then they use certain uh, like pills to like fall asleep and dream for longer periods of time and like go on actual missions and and things like that and that's the i guess like the the route that i took yeah, I love that. That's uh, definitely different. And I think that's how I originally contacted you. I think I had seen something you written. You you written your time travel book. I was like, hey, well, here's somebody else writing stuff like this. So, oh, nice. Let's see if we can. I was actually going to ask you that too. With, if how you yeah. heard of uh, about the podcast? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think I was looking up time travel and seeing what was going on, and I come across your book. I said, here's a guy, and he's actually doing podcasts too. Let's let's get with him. And he's actually a writer as well, and it's it'll be great. So I think that's how it came about. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a great conversation. And yeah. uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask you about a couple things, if you don't mind. You mentioned okay. uh, podcasting, that you, you were doing some like weird text earlier version of podcasting back in like the 90s. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, in the early 1990s, before the internet existed, um, there were these things called uh, college message boards, and then these other things called moos and muds, which stand for, if I remember right, multiple object-oriented environments. And so all that was is, is basically text on the screen, and you'd have to wait for your 24-baud modem to catch up with you. You know, that wow. noise for a long time. <laughs> and you type, and you're, talk, you're typing, talking to people all over the, the world, so it was really interesting. But sometimes you had to wait for them to respond, you know, 20 seconds. And there would be environments that you create that were all text-based. That said, you know, if you want to go east, type E. If you want to go west, type W. And that's really all there was. There was no pictures or anything like that. And so that's what I was on first. And then as soon as the internet started coming in, we all swore we're never, you know, we're, we're still going to stay here. We're not going to leave the moo. We, we, we love these people. But eventually all the, the hype of pictures and everything else and the podcast, you know, doing a podcast, it was a religious podcast for the most part. But I, I probably had 
over 300 shows at some point. And I think most of them are gone now, but and oh, so wow. I was a podcast row when, when it first came out really. So that's pretty cool. Did, did you, you didn't like back up like any of the, like the audio or anything like that. I was going to say it'd be pretty cool to like re-release. I mean, there's probably some still floating out there, but no, I mean, this is, this is almost again, 1990. So this is almost right. 30 years ago, right? Some longer than that. So I might at, I've had multiple computers since then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there there weren't laptops back then. There was all these clunky desktops, and those are I don't have one of those anymore. So right. And the one of the last things I wanted to ask you about was the Renfest that you told me about. Um, <laughs> when, when when you you mentioned um, you know we we were supposed to have uh, the conversation uh, last week, and you mentioned that you were going to be right. at, at Renfest. And honestly, I didn't know what you meant. I didn't know what it was. I was just like, okay, cool, have fun. And then I Googled Renfest, and I saw it, it's, um, uh, for folks listening, from what I gathered, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like those like World War II reenactment type of deals. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah but, for middle, uh, mm-hmm, but for middle, but for medieval times, you know, knights and, and princesses and stuff like that. Mm. My interest in it is, I found out from my my heritage. We now we're circling back to the beginning of the podcast. My heritage is my my father, my biological father, came directly from Germany in 1952 on a ship. At age eight, I think he was somewhere on there. And I found out that my heritage is directly into Teutonic Viking. Wow! So I mean, really close. So we we're we're interested in going to these Rindfests, these these fairs, these reenactments, so we can participate in our viking heritage and possibly even we had we didn't we dress up a little bit but we eventually want to dress up in full garb and and maybe even make a business out of where we make uh viking swords you know wooden ones and things like that various things for that so we're, we have an interest in this and when i was there you didn't call me out so i'll call myself out so i was supposed to come on the show like last <laughs> week or so i think it was and in my life i've only been drunk twice and last week was one of them uh, the reason I haven't been drunk a lot in my life is because my adoptive family were a lot of alcoholics, and I tried to avoid that because I've seen the, the results of that. Not not putting anybody else down, but I just know for myself I didn't want any of that. I didn't right. want to actually get into it by accident. So what happens is is the Viking alcohol is called mead, M-E-A-D-E, and it's made out of honey, just honey and water. It's fermented honey, basically. And whereas a typical beer is 4% alcohol, mead is 14.7% alcohol, and it's very sweet most of the time and, and hard to even realize you're drinking alcohol. It's very tasty, and I love honey anyhow. <laughs> um, so before I knew it, I think we'd gone through four or five six-ounce cups of this 14.7% alcohol. And even though I found out I'm not a hostile drunk and I don't really slur my words, I just wouldn't have been as coherent. You would have said something I was like, well, what'd you say? Yeah. So I, I thought it best to not expose the audience to me being slightly inebriated. So <laughs> that's what happened. Good call. Cause th- this definitely turned out to be, to, <laughs> to be a cool conversation that probably would have been made for an interesting one as well. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll do another one where y'all, Hey, I'm, Hey Tony, I've had a lot of me. Let's yeah, yeah. make a show. <laughs> Let's talk about my new book. <laughs> um, I didn't write a book yet, but if I ever do, it's gonna be this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to the wonderful world of mead. <laughs> yeah. All right, Roderick. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh wanted you yeah, to I appreciate the time. Uh absolutely. You have an open invitation definitely to come back on. 
Um, mention to folks your website again and your Twitter where folks can find you and any uh, books you want to plug or promote. And obviously, I'll link to everything in the episode notes as well. Yeah, as you said, it's RoderickE.com. Or you can just go to Amazon and look for Roderick Edwards. I think all the books will come up there or Google it. And if there's anything about you know outstanding warrants, that might not be me. It's probably somebody else. But anyhow, <laughs> just uh, follow me there and and. and Please, uh, to pick up a book, I'm, I always give away a lot of audio books. So if you say, hey, I like this book, but I don't have much money or I don't want to spend, I'd be more than happy to send you the PDF. Because right now at this stage, I just want people to read and, and see what they think and give me feedback. Awesome. Well, Roderick, thank, thanks again, buddy. Thank you. Take care and have a good night. And uh, Thanks a lot, buddy. All right. Have a good night and we'll listen to the podcast soon together. Absolutely. How cool was that conversation, folks? A really cool writing uh, takeaway that I'm going to borrow from Roderick is something that he mentioned during the episode, which was having the audio program uh, within Word uh, read back your writing to you. I personally use Scrivener, like like I mentioned on the episode, but I believe Scrivener also has like a dictate uh, function. But if not, then, you know, and for folks listening, if you use a different writing program, you can just copy and paste like scene you know, do like a scene per scene or chapter per chapter, or maybe just a few paragraphs that you want to just hear back spoken to you, as opposed to just you hearing it in your own head. Like a good writing tip aside from that is just like reading things out loud, especially dialogue as you write them, um, just so you can hear how it actually sounds spoken out loud. Cause when you just read in your head, things can come off a certain way. But I definitely like that idea of using that dictate function uh, within word. And I'm definitely going to borrow that from you, Roderick. Thank you very much for sharing. And thanks again, Roderick, for taking the time to come on the Spun Today podcast. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. You have an open invitation uh, to come back on the show. Fellow writers out there listening, please feel free to reach out. Hit me up uh, if you ever want to come on the Spun Today podcast. And you don't have to only be a writer. You know, pretty open to speak to anyone, especially within the creative vein And as I mentioned before, folks, Roderick can be found on Twitter at Roderick.com, spelled out on Twitter. His website is RoderickE, for Edwards, dot com, RoderickE.com. And all his books can be found in many different formats, digital for your e-readers, audiobooks, paperback copies, and hardback copies as well on Amazon. You can just Google his name, Roderick Edwards. Or check out any of the links within the episode notes of this episode. And that, folks, once again, was episode 196 of the Spun Today podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. I hope you enjoyed that one. I sure did. And if you want to help me free up some time to create more content, to record more episodes, to write more books, please stick around to listen to a few different ways that you can help support the Spun Today podcast if you so choose. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. 
Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors and all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. SpunToday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full-length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped-up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spun Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, spuntoday.com forward slash support, click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. 
it will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.